to do with the sermon. I just like that video. And, uh, no. So I don't know how your prayer life's uh, going right now. Um, maybe uh, you've, uh, and prayer's one of those things. For me, it, it seems like I can just have this, this great period of prayer where it's just so meaningful and uh, it's so deep and so rich. And then um, one day it's just like I kind of you know, realize that some stuff has crept in, and, and pride is one of those things that, not just gossip, but pride can infect our prayer life and hurt it in so many ways. And I want to talk about that today. Now, five weeks ago, we were still in the book of Ephesians, and we were looking at the last passage, and we talked about four keys to improving uh, your prayer life. And hopefully, uh, those are things that have been helpful. 
and useful to you. But today we're going to add another something to that mix to hopefully maybe just ratchet up uh, the value of your prayer life a bit. So we are looking at the life of Elijah. Uh, we've been looking in 1 Kings uh, starting in chapter 17 and last week we looked at chapter 18. And uh, if you've been here, you know a little bit about what's going on. We, we first uh, see Elijah come on the scene um, about the second half of the ninth century before Christ. Um, he is a prophet in Israel. He uh, ministers in the northern kingdom. You might remember we talked about that. The, the kingdom had been divided into north-south. Uh, the north was called Israel, and the south uh, kingdom was called Judah. And in the northern kingdom, at this period in history, is a king named Ahab. He was a bad king. In fact, the Bible says he was the worst king yet that Israel had ever had. He had a wife whose name was Jezebel, everyone knows that, right? Not a really great woman. Uh, she kind of was a perfect match for him, I guess, in some ways. And uh, these two people, this king and this queen, instead of helping people connect with the Lord God, follow the Lord God, live in the blessings of the Lord God, they were actually systematically trying to get people to do the opposite. So they were uh, introducing uh, what we call idol worship or false gods. Two gods in particular, they were pushing really hard, uh, the god Baal and the god Asher. And they were trying to get people to worship these false gods. So God raises up this guy named Elijah to uh, stand up to the king. Now, the king has this reputation for putting people to death that he doesn't like. So this is kind of a, a, a tricky thing that Elijah does. God says, I want you to go, and I want you to warn the king. And so Elijah does, and we're told that he goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with the king, and he warns the king. He says, I'm going to pray. And there's going to be no rain in this place for a long time. And it's going to be devastating for the kingdom. And as soon as he does that, you might remember God says, now run. And so he runs to this place called the Kirith Ravine. And in the Kirith Ravine, which means that uh, a place of being cut off, he's cut off from society. And for several years, he's just living in this ravine. And we're told that these ravens would bring him food every morning and they would bring him food every evening. And so he's there for a while. We don't know how long, a year, a little bit longer. And then the brook dries up and God says, I want you to go to a place called Zarephath. It's about 80 miles away. And there you will meet a widow. And so he goes there and on the outskirts of town, he meets this widow and he goes and he lives with this widow and her family. And she and her family were ready to die because they were just about out of food. But uh, you might remember the story. She said, I have just a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour and I was going to make one last meal and my son and I were going to die. And Elijah says, God has told me if you, if you put that together and mix it up and make some breadsticks, you know, they'll be like never-ending breadsticks for you. And just feed me first, that's all. And then you'll have all that you need. And so this happens day in and day out for a while. Uh, ultimately, we're told that this woman's son dies and Elijah does something that's never happened before. He raises this boy from the dead. And so he's with this, this family. About three, three and a half years go by. And the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and says, um, you know, now it's time to face off with the king. So we talked about that last week. Go tell the king, we're going to settle this whole thing. Who's God? Is Yahweh God? Is Baal God? Is Asherah God? Let's just figure this out and get it all sorted out and done with. So he goes to King Ahab and he says, God said, we're going to meet up on the mountain, on Mount Carmel, and we're going to have a showdown. So they meet on this mountain and we're told that 450 prophets of Baal come and 400 prophets of Asherah come. So there's 850 
on one side, and on the other side, there's just Elijah, just bald-headed Elijah on the other side, just him. And he says, this is what we're going to do, all right? We're going to set up an altar, and I'm going to set up one, and you're going to set up one, and we're going to each take a sacrifice of bull, and you guys are going to get yours all ready, and you're going to put it on the altar, and I'm going to put mine on the altar, but we won't light the altars. We'll just let our gods do that. And so he says, you guys go ahead and go first. And so they, you know, got their altar ready and, and they began to call out to their God. And we're told they called out and they began to yell out to their God and they began to dance around the altar. Remember that? And, you know, this whole thing's going on and pretty soon they're cutting themselves and they're trying and nothing happens for six hours. And Elijah's just kind of sitting on the side, just kind of, you know, laughing at him and just having a good time. And then, you know, they're basically, okay, let's see what you got. Remember, so he's like, okay, so they'd knocked over his altar, so he puts the altar up, and he, he puts the sacrifice on there, and, and he says, you know, we better pour some water in that, because my God's fire is going to be so hot, you know, we need to kind of put some, so they pour some water on there, he's just showing off, stands to the side, doesn't dance, doesn't yell, doesn't shout, he just very simply prays, God, I know you're doing this, so everybody will, will know that you want to draw them back to yourself, and fire comes down out of heaven, and it consumes the whole thing. Just this, just this amazing, amazing event in history. And, and now, right after that happens, God tells Elijah, I need you to hike up to the peak of the mountain that you're on, because it's time to do some praying. Now, something about Elijah and his prayer life, because I don't know what you think of when you think of Elijah, but over 900 years later, there's a guy named James. James is the half-brother of Jesus, uh, this is something that happens after Jesus has been resurrected and ascended to heaven. James, his half-brother, that is, they had the same mom but not the same dad. He is a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And one day he's thinking, he's writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he begins to write about this guy named Elijah. Now, over 900 years later, and this is what people are still saying about Elijah. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. And then again he prayed, that's what we're going to look at today. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I find that a very, very encouraging passage, because Elijah was a man just like us. Now when I read that, I think, I don't understand how that could be true, because I've studied Elijah, and he doesn't seem like a man like me. This guy's an incredible, incredible man. But what James is trying to say is that Elijah is a man who faced a lot of the same challenges we do. In fact, we're going to see next week that it was all not, everything wasn't roses for Elijah. Elijah was a man who knew discouragement. Elijah was a man who knew rejection. Elijah was a man who sometimes had more fear of people than he had faith in God. We're going to look at that next week, but James is just setting the backdrop. What he's saying is this. Here's a man, an imperfect man, a man who makes mistakes, a man who knows what it is to be afraid, and yet, and yet this is a man whose prayer life changes things. And when I read that, I think, you know, I mean, I pray anyways. If I'm going to pray, I would love to have the kind of prayer life that, that changes things. I don't know if you've ever really thought about that or wrestled with that, but wouldn't that be great to have the kind of prayer life that actually changes things, that actually affects change? And that's what he's saying here. Now notice what he says. It's a man who prays earnestly. He prays earnestly. It's been said that most of us don't pray earnestly. We pray little prayers. You know, we, we pray with, with a little P and a little R and a little A and a little Y, you know? Don't we do that? Like, why, God? Why, why pray for this? Why pray when you're going to do what you're going to do anyways? Why pray when sometimes I don't, you know, I don't pray for the right things? And, you know, or God, why? Why haven't you answered me yet? Here's a man who prays, not perfectly, but he prays with intensity. 
So here's a story, just a couple of verses we're going to look at today in chapter 18, verse 42. We just had this great event, and now it says Elijah packs up his stuff, and he climbs to the top, to the peak of Mount Carmel, or Mount Caramel is all I can think of it. And he bent down to the ground, and he put his face between his knees. So you get a picture of this, and, he, and then he says to his servant, I want you to go look toward the sea. And so his servant went up, and he looked, and he came back, and he said, there's nothing there. And the seven times Elijah said, go back. And the seventh time, the servant reported, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising from the sea. And so Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. So I want to look at this today and unpack a few things. In fact, actually, I just really want to unpack one thing for you if you uh, got some notes today. And the first thing is this, that Elijah was a man who when he prayed, he prayed with humility. Now, as we go through this today, I would just say this, on, on last Sunday, this was a sermon with four points. And on Monday, it was a sermon with three points. And uh, by Wednesday, it was a sermon with two points. It only had two, so things were really looking up for you. And then um, yesterday, as I was kind of meditating through the passage, it struck me, really, this is just about one thing, just one thing. So we're going to look at this first point, and you have a second point, but I'm going to just tell you right now that you can just kind of scratch out the two on point two and just write result because what we're going to look at there is just kind of the sum result of what happens when you pray with humility. Now, I don't know if this is anything you've ever thought about. I have to admit I hadn't thought a lot about the importance, the magnitude of humility in praying. But here's this guy and he has this incredible, literal mountaintop experience, if you will. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I've had just an intense period of ministry and had some success, usually... I usually tell God I could use a break, you know. Uh, It'd be nice to sleep in or something like that. But instead, God's like, man, you need to pack up your stuff and head up to the top of this mountain because you need to pray. And so it tells us this, Elijah climbs up to the top of this mountain and he bends down to the ground and he puts his face between his knees. Now, every time I think about this passage, I think it should go this way. He has this great event, and fire comes down from heaven, and he's totally stoked, and, and uh, he climbs up to the mount, top of Mount Carmel, and then I always picture when he gets there, I imagine the soundtrack to Rocky playing in the background, you know, and he's just like, you know, doing this, because he's just had the most amazing event. Don't you just think he'd be up there like, yeah, you know, and excited, and you know, I mean, just think about what's happened. He, he trusted God enough to stand up to a king who was putting men like him to death, just like that. But he, he has enough faith to trust God for that, and things went well. He's there, and he's facing off with, with 850 prophets, and he spoke well. He did, he did a great job. God worked through the situation. Here's a man that for three and a half years has been hiding, and now he's vindicated. So you know he's got to be feeling pretty good about that. People are turning to God, and, and instead, here's the irony to me, he gets to this mountaintop, and he's not pumping his fist, he's not jumping up and down, he humbles himself. As I understand, when you, when you read this passage in the Hebrew, it just gives you the picture that what he does is he gets up to the top of this mountain and he just kind of gets down like this and then he kind of does this. So I don't know if you've ever prayed like that. I tried it. I can't really do it for a long time, <laughs> very comfortably, you know. But it's interesting because it's really physically the opposite of what I would expect from this man at this time. Why would he do that? Why would he not walk up to the mountain just like this? Why would he walk up and get on the mountain and do this? And I think it's because Elijah knew the score. 
I think Elijah, there, he has no illusions about what's happened. Here's a man who three and a half years earlier stood up to the king face to face with a man who could have had him put to death like that. He prays and it hasn't rained for three and a half years. But Elijah's under no illusions. He knows that he isn't the one who stopped the rain. He knows that it's God who stopped the rain and he just got to be part of it. Here's a man who goes to this Kirith ravine and twice a day for we don't know how long. These ravens bring him food. But Elijah knows who is really behind that. And it wasn't him. Here's a man who travels 80, 90 miles to Zarephath. He lives in this house with this family. And every day he sees this woman get out with a little bit of uh, flour and a little bit of oil. And she makes some bread. And every morning when they come out, it's been replenished. And as cool as that was, he knew that he wasn't the one who did it. Here's a man who sees a young boy pass away. And he raises this boy from the dead. And I'm sure that word had got around in Zarephath. And he was probably, you know, he, he was probably quite the celebrity, as you might imagine, in that area. But he, it, it didn't go to his head. Because he knew that he didn't do it. When he's standing up on that mountain and the fire comes down from heaven, you know, and he's just totally loving it, he's digging it. And he doesn't do what many of us would do. He doesn't let it go to his head. He knows it was all God. And I think he is just completely, utterly in awe of God. Just completely humbled. It's just so interesting to me how so many of us take the blessings of God and, and we kind of let it go to our head, but not Elijah. Here's a man who's just, he knows who did the work. He's just honored to be a part of it. But they still need rain. And I, I get this picture that Elijah goes up to the mountain and goes, man, God has done this and this and this and this and this, but I didn't do any of that. And now we need rain and we need rain really bad and I can't make it rain. So he gets down in a humble position and he prays. It's a humble prayer and he's a humble man before God. You know, we've said this before, but to be humble isn't to have a low view of yourself. It's not to have a name tag that says scumbag, you know. That's not what it, humility is. Humility is just to have an accurate view of yourself in relation to God. It's where you realize, you know, God, you are holy. <laughs> you, you are perfection and I am not. God, you are love from beginning to end. Everything you do, everything you say is always born out of love. But that's not, that's not me, God. That's you, that's not me. God, you're omnipotent. You're completely and utterly powerful. But I'm not, God. You're omniscient. You know everything. Everything that, everything that is, everything that could be, you know all of that. And I don't. The danger is, in our humanity sometimes, we can start to take all the blessings for God in our life and we kind of, we kind of become proud about that. But here's Elijah, and he's, he's no, no illusions. He knows it's all about God. I don't know, I think as Americans, we are so blessed. We have so much at times. Don't you think that it's easy kind of for us to get up in the morning and go through our day and never think about how utterly dependent we are on God for every good thing in our life? So it was about, uh, I guess it was about three weeks ago, and I had to go to the doctor and get uh, uh, a bunch of shots uh, to go to uh, Central America. And, I, you know, they don't bother me, but I had to get uh, four shots. And so I uh, went in, and no big deal. And I had a book. I was going to read a book. And I went in the room, and they broke out the shots. And they said, you know, this isn't going to hurt. And they gave me the first one, and it didn't hurt. I just read my book. I'm a man. And, they're, you know, and I'm reading the book. And they gave me the shot, and I 
bring it on. Give me the second shot. Sounds good. Give me the third shot. Like, okay, we got to go uh, get the fourth shot ready. It's okay. I'm a man. I'm reading my book. So I'm just reading, and I'm sitting there, and the nurses go out of the room for a minute, and I'm reading, and all of a sudden, I just kind of had this. I don't know if this is ever happened to you. The, the shots didn't hurt or anything, but I'm just sitting there reading my book, and all of a sudden, I'm like, ooh, ooh, wow, ooh. I don't feel so good. I mean, just like that, man, my stomach was like not feeling good. So I'm sitting there for a minute thinking, man, that's not, that's not cool. And all of a sudden, uh, I realize I'm just dripping, dripping wet. I mean, just like, just, and I'm just like burning up, just like it happened that fast. So I'm kind of sitting there, and, uh, and the nurses come back in with the shot, and they're like, are you ready? And I said, uh, well, I said, um, you know, could I just go, I kind of, can I just go use the restroom for a minute? And didn't say a thing, right? Because I don't need help. I'm a man. And so they said, oh, yeah, there's a restroom right down. So I go down the hall, and I close the door, and I lock the door, and I lean up against the wall, and I realize that I'm just, my, my breathing is extremely labored. And I'm kind of sitting there for a minute, and I just drop down to my knees. So I'm now on my knees. I'm in this bathroom. I'm sitting there, but I'm a man, and I don't need help. And I'm thinking to myself, it was really kind of a weird situation because my mind is, all I can think in my mind is, Come on, what am I, a little girl? Those shots didn't hurt. I'm a man, you know? And, uh, and they didn't hurt. And, and, but I'm just, I'm breathing, and I can feel myself like I'm going to pass out. And, but I'm thinking, I'm going to get this under control. I'm just, I am going to control this with the sheer force of my mind. So I'm just thinking, just breathe deep and just calm down, and it's not working, and it's not working. And finally, I had to do what I didn't want to do. On my hands and knees, I open the door, and I say, help, you know? <laughs> and... I don't know why, and you know, they're like, oh, men, that's what they're, that's what the nurses go, men, you know, pick me up, take me in, lay me down, give me some water, and in a few minutes, everything was fine, it was just a, it was a reaction to one of the shots, and so I lay down, but, but the thing is, I was laying there thinking to myself, it's like so humiliating sometimes to ask for help, that's just, that's, that's one of my issues, it's just so hard sometimes to ask for help, I just want to do it myself. And sometimes we can kind of, we can be so blessed by God that we start to think that we actually have some kind of control over our life. That we actually can, can, we can control our world by the sheer, you know, just determination of our will. And God's up in heaven just kind of laughing. Men, he says, you know. Just look at it. So hard for us sometimes to ask for help. But Elijah, he's like, just no, no illusions. He just comes to God. His heart is aching. He's like, God, I need your help. And I'm not embarrassed to ask for you, oh God. These people need rain. I mean, Elijah's probably thinking, I don't need rain, God. Are you kidding? My life is so blessed. But God, these people need rain. They need to see you. If it rains now, they're going to get it. They're going to connect the dots. They're going to know why this happened. And they're going to start to understand that they could experience you as I've experienced you. God, I need your help because I can't do that. I want them to know your blessings. I want them to know your love, but God, I can't do that. And Elijah's on his knees. He's unlocked the door. He's calling for help. God, I need your help. Rain at this time, God, would be perfect. It would connect the dots for these people. In James 4, James says this. He says, now, God opposes the who? Yeah, the proud. God opposes. God stands. Literally, it's kind of the idea of teams, and God's on the other team. He's on the opposing team of the proud, but he gives what? He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. It says, God gives grace to the humble. Think about this. How do you get the initial saving grace of God? Okay, you have to unlock the door, open it, and say, help me, God. 
Nobody gets saved by coming into God's presence and going, no, God, I don't really need you. God, I mean, I'm a pretty good person. I'm okay, but, you know, just to play it safe, just to be cool, I'll let you in and you can just be one of my gods and, you know, I'll just kind of play it safe and make sure I can go to heaven. You understand, no one comes to God that way. It doesn't work that way. It comes when we surrender ourselves to Christ. It comes when we humble ourselves before God and say, God, help. God, I have a need. God, I'm a sinner. God, I'm not destined for heaven. God, I have rejected you. God, I need you to help me. God, I need you to save me. God, I need you to bring the power of the cross into my life. That's how we get connected with God. We humble ourselves before God, and then God gives us grace. But you understand this, this grace that God gives us isn't just for someday. It's not just, well, I humble myself now, and I get one day to experience God's grace in heaven. Grace is a thing that God makes available to us moment by moment by moment. Problem by problem, relationship by relationship, job by job. God says any time, in any situation that we will humble ourselves, get on our knees, open the door and say, God, help me. God has grace for us in that moment. Grace for us in that problem. Grace for us in that need. When we humble ourselves in prayer, we let God be God. That's what Elijah does. Now, we're not told what Elijah prayed. My guess is he said, God, reign soon, you know, that would be great, you know, not, he doesn't walk in and say, God, here's how to do your job, God, here's what I'd do if I were you, I think Elijah just goes in and says, you know what, you're God, you're omnipotent, omnipotent, you're omniscient, you're all those things, you're God, I'm just saying we could use some rain, God, so I'm humbly, you you do it any way you want to do it, I think it's interesting, God doesn't answer Elijah's prayers instantly, and we need to learn to trust God's timing, to trust God's method, to trust that his answers may be different from ours. The Bible tells us that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, we're told that he goes into this this garden and he's praying to the Father there. And his prayer went like this. He's praying and he says, Abba, Father. That is Daddy, Father. He says, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus is just praying this this kind of gut-level honest prayer. The cup that he's talking about is the cup of having to take on the the sin of humanity and the the punishment for that sin. So Jesus is in the garden and he says, you know what, I have been perfectly holy from eternity past and, and I've lived on this earth a perfect life. I've never sinned. I've walked the ways of God. He says, but now I'm about to, in some way I'm about to take all the sin that I've avoided and carry that on my person. And a lot of times we think, that the cup that Jesus wants to pass from him is the physical, you know, death on the cross, which I would imagine was a part of that. But I think the biggest part was to have to carry the sins of the world. This is the thing that is so difficult for him. And he just says, God, you know, I'm just going to tell you what you already know. I'd rather not do this. I'd rather not go there. And yet, notice what he says. He, but he prays this, this humble prayer that says, God, here's, here's how I'm feeling but I'm on my knees. I'm humbling myself before you. Not, not what I want, but what you want. That's a humble prayer. Humble prayers can be honest with God, but they also trust and submit to the will of God. If you want your prayer to be powerful, you pray humbly. You say, you know what, God? Here's what I need, but you're God. So you be God in my life. Elijah, a man of tremendous spiritual success, 
humbles himself before God. And, and this is supposed to be the second point, but really, honestly, to me, this is just kind of the result of a humble prayer. When we humbly submit ourselves to God, there's things that happen, but in this passage, one of the things we see is just this expectancy that's born out of humility because now Elijah's just kind of laid it down. He's like, God, I'm not telling you what to do or how to be God. I'm just saying, here's what we need and I trust you. So now Elijah's pretty excited about what's gonna come next. In verse 43, he says to his servant, so you gotta picture it. He goes up and he drops to his knees and he prays this prayer. We don't know, by the way, how long he prays this prayer. And then finally, he kind of looks up and he says to his servant, I want you to go and look toward the sea. Now, we don't have a clear picture of the geography here, so we're going to have to kind of guess a little bit. He's, he's near the top of this mountain. He's on his knees. He's praying. He prays for a while. He looks up and he says to his servant, I'm going to stay here, all right? But I want you to get up and go and look. And we don't know how far did he have to go, a couple yards, a couple hundred yards, and we have no idea. Did he have to hike the other side of the mountain? I want you to go look over towards the Mediterranean Sea. This is where storms usually rose up. I want you to go over there and look and see if you see anything. So the servant goes over there and he looks and he comes back and he says, nothing. Elijah goes, okay, just, just, just a minute. He gets down. Then we don't know how long. He prays a little bit. He says, okay, go, go look again. So the servant's like, all right. So he goes off and again, looks, comes back, nothing. Okay, just a minute. Okay, now, go look. Goes off, looks, comes back, nothing. Okay, no problem. Okay, go check it out. And this goes on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. We don't know. This could have taken anywhere from an hour to a couple of days. And this just keeps going on. Now, some people read this and they're like, wow, man, that guy, that man had some discipline, didn't he? I mean, that takes some discipline to be down on your knees and to be praying and, you know, you see anything? No, okay, wait, he, I really don't know that it was discipline. I mean, I'm not doubting that Elijah was a disciplined man, but I think that more than disciplined, I think this was a man who was expectant. And I think his discipline was born out of an expectancy. He had prayed, he had humbled himself before God, he's learned to trust God, and he's just really excited. Because he knows God's gonna do something, and he wants to be a part of it. See, he's been in difficult situations before. There was, you know, God said, I want you to go talk to the king. And so he goes to the king and he's like probably got a little bit of fear and he's facing the king and he's praying, God, please don't let this guy kill me right now. And the guy doesn't kill him. And you know, he's, he's lived in a ravine and he's lived with this widow and he's been in different situations. He's prayed the prayers before and here's what he's learned. Every time he's been in a situation and he's had to pray and he's humbled himself, he's learned something about God. God can be trusted. God has good plans. God does great things. God wants to bless you. And all this stuff is kind of building up in his life and Elijah's taking notes and pretty soon, you know, when it comes time to get up on the mountaintop and pray, it's just my theory, but I don't think it's discipline that's driving him. It's anticipation because he knows something great is about to happen and he wants to be a part of that. He's excited. Elijah's not a man discouraged by the circumstances. You know, he's not discouraged by the weather. He's not discouraged by the silence. There's no thunderstorms coming up. He's not, he's not discouraged by the prayer count. One, two, three, four. How many times do I have to pray, God? It's not Elijah. He's just up there. Now I know, I know there's a disconnect. It's just weird to think about a guy praying and praying and praying and praying for rain, isn't it? That's weird. Um, I've been praying and praying and praying for sun. But uh, I love this next part. Notice what it says in verse 44. Now the seventh time, the servant goes and he comes back. 
And he says, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising from the sea. And the picture is he's kind of, he's doing this thing. Okay, so way out on the Mediterranean, he's like, there's a little cloud out there just kind of coming up off the sea. It's really not much. It's little. And Elijah says, well, you better go tell the king. Hitch up your chariot and go down because the rain's going to stop you. It's going to be massive. It's going to be huge. Now, I love that the servant's like, you know, probably like, no, I don't think you heard me right. <laughs> it's just a little, gee, look loud out there. You know, we should probably check the weather widget on the iPhone and see. Let's see if, the, you know, what they say. Or let's wait for a little, you know, report of precipitation down on the coastline. Or, you know, no, Elijah's like, go, oh, dude, you know, hit the alarm. Break out the umbrellas and, you know, get the raincoats because it's going to start raining. Because he knew it. Because he understood God. Now, Elijah's not perfect. Elijah didn't have perfect faith. You got next, next week, we're going to look at this. Elijah's a man who knows what it is to be afraid. Elijah knows what it's like to fear people at times more than he trusts God. He's ready to give up, but he had enough faith. He had just enough faith in this situation to trust God. In fact, Jesus was talking to his disciples one time, and he said this. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, we're told you can put a thousand mustard seeds, they're so small, in the palm of your hand. Jesus said, if you have just one of those, if your faith is just that big, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus says it it doesn't take much faith at all to access the miracle working power of God. Now when he says faith, you've got to understand because there's just a lot of weird stuff going around the church today. He's not talking about faith in yourself. You understand that? He's not talking about, well, if you just have faith in yourself and if you're just sincere... It's not what he's talking about. He's not saying, you know, if you have faith in prayer. He's not saying prayer has this magical thing and if you just pray. That's not what it's about. He's not saying if you have faith in faith, which is the thing I'm starting to hear a lot in, in, in uh, you know, Christian books today. If you just have faith in faith, if you just believe enough, it's not what he's talking about. He's saying if you have faith in God. If you have faith in God, if you believe that God exists and believe that God cares and believe that God wants to be intimately involved in our lives, if you believe in that God, he says anything is possible. So notice what happens in the story. It says, you know, meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds and the wind rose and a heavy rain came on Ahab and he rode off to Jezreel and the power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt because he's about to go for a run. He ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. And next week, we'll pick up that story. But a few questions I want to ask you as, uh, as we close here and we think about prayer. The first one is this. Is there some place in your life right now where you could use a little rain from God? I'm guessing you don't need the, the physical wet kind of rain. But is there something in your life right now, some need that you have? You need God to work. And maybe you've given up on prayer. And it's time to get on your knees. It's time to take it to God. And that kind of goes with the second question. Is there some place in your life where you need to approach God humbly. Now, by the way, this is my, this is my theory on um, physically bowing in prayer. Um, I regularly practice physically bowing before God in prayer. Um, I don't do it because um, it does something like, you know, God's in heaven and I bow and he's like, oh, check that off. Okay, gets a point for that. God doesn't care physically what you do in prayer. doesn't care. But I pray, for instance, every, every time before I come down and preach, I get in my office, I get on my knees. The reason I physically get on my knees is because it reminds my soul, my heart, to get on its knees. And that's really the point. It's about humbling yourself. Physically getting on your knees can be a great way not to get points with God, 
But it's a great way to help your soul, to help your heart bow down before God as well. Is there maybe something in your life right now that you've been holding on to? You've been calling the shots. You're like, God, this is how it's going to go. It's going to go this way and it's going to go like this. And here's my plan. And God, I need you to get on board with me. And maybe the thing the Spirit's been speaking to you this morning is it's time to let go of that and let God be God. It's time to unlock the door, open it up and say, help me. Come in, God, and let's do it your way. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a problem. Maybe it's your health. What is it? But you need to let go today and say, you know what, God? I want you to be God. Let me tell you one of the great things about a humble prayer. One of the greatest ways to be relieved of the stress in your life is to let go of things. In Philippians, it says, be anxious, be stressed about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, just different kinds of prayers, let your requests be made known to God. And then it says, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You got some stress? You got some anxiety? Maybe you need to get on your knees today. As we close this service, uh, we're going we're gonna to sing. We're going to take the offering. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can worship God. But I would encourage you tonight to do, or today, to do what we did last night. If, if maybe you're just here and you're like, I just need to physically get going. One of the best times to start practicing a sermon is right now. So I would just say, if, you know, you've been thinking, there's some area in my life I need to bow the knee to God. My suggestion would be, don't wait until we're, we're done here. During worship time, I would invite you to come up. Come up here. You can bow your knee to God. We had people do it last night. We're not going to look at you. We're not going to be like, hmm, I wonder what they're confessing. Hmm, you know? We send little text messages to each other and stuff. We're not that kind of church, okay? We're just going to support you, encourage you. But I want this to be a, a house of prayer, a place where we bend the knee, where we bow the knee to God. If you need to do that this morning, I'd invite you to come up and do that as we, uh, as we close in worship. Let's pray.